Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hey everyone, before we uh, get to this week's episode... Uh, the three of us, including uh, BJ Colangelo, wanted to um, kind of address the the stuff that is going on in horror Twitter right now. We have a little message about our support, and uh, while we try to keep things light and have a good time around here, we have to realize uh, and make a stand for, for what we believe is right. Anyway, uh, before we get to the show, uh, here's a few thoughts. Thanks. So we know there's been a lot going on on horror Twitter um, with Cinestate and Fangoria and a lot of the execs there. And we just want to say that we we are in support of the women who came forward and really just want to say thank you to them for their bravery for coming forward. And, you know, I don't know, as a sexual assault survivor myself, I just know how absolutely terrifying it is to talk about that and to make those accusations and the fear that comes with that. So just wanted to say, you know, we're just, whatever they need from anyone, like we're standing with them. Um, they're more important than any brand. So yeah, that's all I wanted I'm, to say. I'm right there with you. Same. Yeah. We're, we're here. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, I, I feel so impotent right now with a lot going on, both on on horror Twitter and in the real world. So just believe believe it when women come forward, believe it, support them, um, and raise their voices up because that's the only way we're going to get change. And I just I this whole situation is just so it's so heart wrenching. Um, yeah. But we are we are there with you. Um, I, my DMs are always open. Please. Yeah. Any any time that anything happens uh, confidentially, you can just reach out if you feel comfortable. And like, just, yeah, let us know if anyone like what we can support and how. And like, I don't know how a podcast can do it, but I'll, I want to figure out a way. Like, how can we make sets a safer fucking place for people to be? I mean, Jesus, guys, come on. We just say sets need to be so much safer. We need also just need more women, people of color, queer people, and we already knew this, but I think 
it's just like even more now, I think we need to really shift focus and just make ourselves safer and make people feel safe doing the thing they love because this is just fucking awful. So anyway, stay safe, take care of each other, take care of yourselves on with the show. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. June is LGBTQ plus Pride Month, so each week our guests will be a member of the LGBTQ horror community and will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer, director, producer, and actor Vijay Colangelo. She's a writer with bylines in places like Playboy, Bloody Disgusting, and more. She's also directed short films such as Labrys and Powerbomb, and even contributed to the horror th- anthology Death December. Welcome to the show, BJ. Hi, thanks for having me, and I'm Yay. really excited you got my last name right on the first try. <laughs> oh, people get that wrong? They'll say Colangelo, which I'm like, yo, no. <laughs> It's oh, so funny BJ. how many people like mess up the most like simple looking last names. It's truly mm-hmm. it's like you make it harder for themselves and they really need to. Agreed. I, uh, I I mean I can relate. My last name is is Menard, but it's spelled Mesnard, and you, it, however many permutations of that you can imagine is so I completely understand. <laughs> uh, um, so BJ, how did you get into horror? Well, I'm one of those very, very lucky children who had parents that really didn't care what I watched as a child. Uh. Um, the earliest, no joke, the earliest memory that I have as a child is sitting on the couch with my mom and she had just rented the It miniseries. And oh, my dad walks through the room and says, don't you think that that's going to be a little too much for her? And my mom looked at me and went, she's too young. She won't remember this. And, and like, here we are today, still talking about it. the earliest memory that I have. Um, <laughs> so horror has always been, you know, part of my life. My my mom is, is a big horror fan, so I used to watch them nonstop with her. And I also lived very close to a mom and pop video rental store, mm, which those. that will come into play when we talk about my film later. But they had an entire back room, whereas like most video stores, their back room is porn. Theirs was horror. So yes. I would just go in the back room and just like pick things based off of the uh, off of the cover art. And uh, I was also really lucky that my parents, um, they would watch the horror with me because they're their belief system was that if I ever got too scared and wanted to turn something off, that whatever my imagination came up with would probably be worse than what's actually in the movie. So they would sit and watch the whole movie with me. So then that way we could talk about it afterwards. If something was like extremely upsetting um, or I didn't understand something, they would talk me through it, you know, help, help kind of take some of that sting out. So then I just became more and more fascinated with it. I guess as far as like a career is concerned, when I was in college, I started a blog called Day of the Woman, which is the original oh, yeah. title of I Spit in Your Grave. And mm-hmm. I did that in college because at that point, I was just kind of lurking on like bloody disgusting like chat forums in the yeah. comment section. And I was realizing more and more that there weren't a lot of women. And I was like, fuck it, I'll be the woman. And so then I started... <laughs> An, a blog at my most like young and insufferable stage of life, being a college kid. Hell and yeah. 
I've been able to sort of transition that into more of a career. That's so cool. Also, that's the coolest fucking way I've ever heard a parent like deal with horror. Like that sounds like the way I mean, that should be the way anyone deals with any like a parent deals with any trauma or like any scary thing with a kid. That is so smart. Which is it's an extremely trauma informed thing to do. And like, that's what I do now is I do trauma informed education. And I just like look back at my parents like you were so ahead of the curve and you don't (laughs) even know. Right. I was just thinking that I'm like, that's the most like progressive parenting I've ever heard. But like, but it isn't like that radical. They're just like, hey, we're gonna sit with you and watch a horror movie and then talk about it. Like that shouldn't be that radical. But it feels like that. But hell yeah. Yeah. Mostly parents are like, turn it off. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I scarred you. And it's like, no, because now your kid's gonna go to sleep and think like, well, what happens next? Well, and it's shit. probably going to be worse. Yeah, that, yes. that was my childhood <laughs> <Yes>. there, BJ. <laughs> Same. My parents would introduce me to horror. I'd get scared. They'd turn it off. And then like, I'd be in bed late that night like going, oh, God, there's an alien in my stomach that's going to burst out. So, <laughs> uh, so wait, I have a question for you, BJ, because you're – okay, so you're – blog was called Day of the Woman. What do you mm-hmm. think of I Spit on Your Grave? I'm always curious. <laughs> so, sure. Um, I've actually spoken a lot about I Spit on Your Grave yeah. over the years. I'm published in, I think, two different books about it at this point. Yeah. So, I, the reason I called my site Day of the Woman was because I Spit on Your Grave was the first time that I recognized that film could possibly have therapeutic or cathartic release benefits. Mm. Because, I mean, it's, it's not a secret, but like, trigger warning for those who you know, are not okay with the subject of like assault. But when I was 15, I was like brutally assaulted, like brutally assaulted by multiple people. I went to therapy, I went to counselors, and they're like, everybody treated me differently. They talked to me like I was this like fragile thing about to break. I just Mm -hmm. I really hated what my life had become afterwards. And it was like, obviously, yes, the assault was traumatic and terrible. But it was more so like, oh, everyone who knows treats me differently now. Like my life is over as far as Mm -hmm. how they all treat me. And then I watched I actually I rented Ms. 45 first from the same um, video store. And when I returned it, the person who was working there that day was like, oh, well, if you watch that, then like, you should probably watch this and gave me a spit in your grave. And I must have watched it like 12 times in like the two day rental span that I had. Wow. I couldn't stop watching it because the whole time I was like, this is the first time I have ever seen somebody who has survived assault. Not only not let it like define every aspect of their life, but they're not they're not reacting the way that I had been conditioned to think that survivors are supposed right. to react. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like law and order SVU where like now there are these unhinged manic women who can't leave their houses because like I was leaving my house and I was like, what, you know, what's wrong with me that I'm not responding the way that I should to this? Like, why am I not like devastated every day? Why am I not like so scared all the time? And then I watched this movie and I was like, holy shit, I feel so seen right now. And it felt like such a cathartic release to see somebody like, you know, enact their revenge. And it's like, I'm not about to like, go track down the people who did that to me and kill them. I'm not that's not my business of, you know, what (laughs) what I'm interested in doing. But it was the absolute first time I had seen a survivor treated as something more than a victim, but as a survivor. So while, like, I totally understand that movie has so many problematic elements and it's Mm. not, you know, an easy watch and it can be very triggering for a lot of people, but 
it was cathartic for me. And I know that it's been cathartic for a lot of other survivors. So in that regard, like that film has merit. And, you know, I named my blog after it to honor, to honor it and what it, what an impact it had on my life. Fuck yeah. That's amazing. I just want to, like, I am really, I love, like, I'm very into rape prevention movies, which is a weird phrase to say out loud, and it sounds, like, weird, but I was, I- I've seen you post about it, and I wanted to talk about it, because I'm always so curious, because, like, I have, like, I have, like, mixed feelings on it, but I also, like, think it is very interesting and empowering, and there is such an importance to the catharsis of horror, but especially, like, rape revenge films, and it's just, like, I don't know, I just love talking about it, because I think it's, like, there's a lot of positives to talk about, and, like, finding comfort in something that seems not comfortable at all. And I think that's a beautiful thing that horror brings to the table in general as a genre is that, you know, there can be so much power and catharsis and release um, just from watching a horror movie, something that most of the general population writes off as like lesser than or, mm-hmm. you know, even even, you know, a bad influence, so to speak. But there's a lot of power in the way I mean, because film is basically, yes, it's an art form. Yes, it's storytelling. But it's emotional manipulation, like yeah. at its core, oh, yeah. like the way that you arrange images can completely impact the way the audience feels about something and Mm -hmm. there's real power in that. So the fact that horror can offer this, this catharsis or this feeling of relief, like that's incredible and it's fascinating and it's definitely worth talking about. So yeah, I'm definitely not in the camp of, you know, banish all exploitation or banish all rape revenge films because are some of them exploit exploitive garbage? Yeah, absolutely. But are some of them also really telling an important story that's having a positive impact for somebody? Yeah. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Hell yeah. So kind of pivoting from that, how did you get into horror filmmaking? Have you always like wanted to be a filmmaker or did that kind of fall into your lap? I've always wanted to make horror films, but I unfortunately spent many, many years of my life um, believing that I couldn't Mm -hmm. because I'm a woman, because I don't live in Los Angeles, because Mm -hmm. I didn't go to film school. All of these different things that I had been sort of putting up as barriers for myself. And then that sort of changed when I relocated from Chicago to Cleveland, and I started getting involved with some folks in the Ohio film scene who basically were like, fuck it, it costs nothing to make things here because it's Ohio, not California, (laughs) and you can absolutely walk into a restaurant or a public building and say, hey, we want to shoot a movie here, and people are like, hey, that's great, as long as we're in the credits, you can use it for free, and like sign sign away location releases. So um, through that, I was able to, you know, start, start creating things, and it wasn't necessarily that I set out to exclusively be a horror filmmaker, but mm-hmm. horror is just, it's just the vehicle that I want my storytelling to live in because horror has been so impactful in my life. And it's, it's where I feel most comfortable telling stories. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Um, and I know you and, um, and, and Zach, you did, uh, the movie Powerbomb and you also are involved with, uh, the upcoming Death Sember. Right? I think you have a short with that as well? Yes, I do. I do have a short um, in December. Um, it's called They Used to Laugh and Call Him Names. So you can assume what sort of subject <laughs> matter that has to be about. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, af- 
it was before Powerbomb actually came out, but there was a there was a couple recommendations that the producers of Death Summer had been asking a couple other directors around, like we're looking for like young upcoming talent. I mean, not necessarily young, but I guess like, you know, inexperienced, um, mm-hmm. you know, folks who really haven't gotten their start yet that you think are talented. And we were recommended my former directing partner and I were both recommended and we sent them a pitch. They liked it and we got in and, I think to my knowledge, as far as the American filmmakers are concerned, our piece is the only one that isn't from a, a coastal city. And I'm pretty wow. proud of that because Hell like Mid- yeah. Midwest horror is, uh, is, is a, a really weird uh, sort of regional genre. And I don't think that it gets enough love, but that's just me. I would agree. I also really liked your short um, Labyrinth. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but I watched it as part of the Final Girl Berlin Film Festival this year, and I really enjoyed it because it was like witches and gay, and it was just like everything I wanted in a short. <laughs> I oh, was thank like, you. I was like, I love this, and then your name popped up as the director, and I was like, oh, I know her, and it was <laughs> it was just well, really I'm, cool, and I I'm really glad enjoyed that. You that. Love it. Yeah, Labyrinth. Labyrinth was kind of. Um, I mean, while it's the first piece that I directed after the separation from my former creative partner, but mm-hmm. lab like the Labrys is, you know, the two two sided battle axe. It was on the yeah. original lesbian pride for a lag, and it's you know it's a piece of queer history that I do- that I think doesn't get enough attention and like mm-hmm. what power it is to have the the Labrys. So I was like, you know what, I just want to. I just want to make a movie about how I feel about a lot of things happening in the world right now <laughs> and how I wish that I could handle that situation. <laughs> so yes, magic, magic and mayhem. Yes. <laughs> how did you uh, transition from your, your blog to uh, being published everywhere? Is it, is it just on the people finding your blog or did you actively go out and like search for bloody disgusting and everywhere? Cause as, as like, you know, as someone that has, you know, his own site, I, I'm always like terrified of like reaching out to other places. So I always like to hear people's journey with that. Mine, in all honesty, this is going to be like a lame story. Mine was just luck. <laughs> um, yeah. Really what it came down to is not only was I a woman that was writing about horror, but I was also at the time very young. Um, mm-hmm. I was 18 when I first started. So, I oh, mean, wow. I couldn't even legally drink um, when I was writing for day of the woman and what ended up happening is a couple of like those i guess like bigger name uh film critics they championed my work and they acknowledged the fact that i was very young and not as a way to be like haha look how like cool and like niche this thing is look at this gimmick of this young like teen girl talking Mm -hmm. about horror they did it in a way of being like we really need to foster young talent if we want the genre to thrive and you know she's somebody we should be keeping our eye on also when i started blogging um it was right before there was an explosion of horror blogs. I would say like three years mm. after I started writing, it exploded to the point where there were websites made specifically to like rank the popularity of other horror blogs so that people could <laughs> curate what horror blogs they wanted to read because there right. were so many at the time. And um, in like a weird way, as like stupid as that sounds, like that really helped me because now there was tangible evidence that people were reading what I was doing. Yeah, I was able to kind of use that as a portfolio. So um, 
I could approach these other sites and be like, hey, I know I'm just a blogger, but like, here are my numbers. Like, people actually care what I have to say. And I would love to, you know, start getting paid for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but more so, it's like, I would love to lend my voice, da, 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 knowing yeah, full like, well I would like to would... get paid. <laughs> yeah, knowing full well Show that the they'd money. be like, okay, well, we'll, you know, we can only pay this much, which is at the time, like, way more than anything that I had ever gotten paid for. So that's really what it came down to. And then it was, I don't know, maybe like six or so years ago where I finally was getting enough paid work where I realized, okay, um, I'm going to stop updating the blog because I'm, I'm kind of professional at this in yep. like a weird sense. And yeah. I, I don't want to write for free anymore. Right. And valid, <laughs> but it was also like really devastating because. I started that when I was so young and I wrote like that's where I was writing when I was, you know, I was still writing there when I was going under cancer treatment. So um, it's it was very weird. It was like closing a chapter of of my life. And it's also weird because now it exists as like this walking portfolio and I can look back at it and like cringe and be like, oh, my gosh, why did I ever write that? (laughs) Or why did I think this was funny or clever? Or what the hell was I thinking? Um in in some ways, though, I look back at it and I'm like, oh, that's cute. Look how much I've grown. <laughs> look how much angrier I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Looking back at like my old writing, she's uh, like, well, I really have gotten much angrier. Huh. Funny how that, how, how that works. Terry, what have you been watching recently? So I'm still going through my backlog. And mm-hmm. the movie that my app told me to watch this time is from 1983, Spasms. Have either of you seen this movie? I don't even think I've heard of it. No. It is, it's it's quite a movie. It has <laughs> Peter Fonda in it. It has Oliver Reed in it. Oh, wow. And the premise, oh uh, gosh, I don't even know if I can do this justice. Um, so this gigantic serpent is captured on a remote island. And at one point in time, it bit a British millionaire who was out there hunting it played by Oliver Reed, who now has a psychic link to the serpent and can see through its eyes. And so he hires an American scientist uh, played by Peter Fonda to um, bring it to his mansion to study it. And meanwhile, there is a satanic cult, because this is the 80s, that believes that the serpent is actually a demon and they want to worship it, and so they send an ex-CIA agent. What are you talking? <laughs> Since when is the, the CIA like in with the cults? <laughs> or maybe that's just common knowledge, and it's forever, and I'm an idiot. Who knows? <laughs> that's what you didn't know is that the CIA is infiltrating slash is a cult. Actually, this doesn't seem too far off. But anyway, maybe maybe it's because he's ex like. CIA agent? I don't know, but, wow. but he is, like, hunting down the snake while the scientist, Peter Fonda, is trying to bring the st- snake to the mansion, and then shenanigans happen, and people get horribly, uh, like, puffy when they get bit, and, and die, and it's really weird, but you randomly get Oliver Reed hissing at people. Um, oh! As he, oh, I'm, as I'm he, on board. I was gonna say, like, I love that. 
And the only like I whenever I watch these, I want to try to like take notes. And literally the the only note, the only two notes was that Oliver Reed randomly hisses at people towards the end, and that Peter Fonda tells a woman it's not ladylike for her to say crap. And I really wanted her to start dropping f bombs because Holy fuck that. Holy shit. The tagline is you ex- you scream, you expand, you explode. Which yeah, sounds they great. Get, they get really gooey. Um, cool. Yeah. It's uh it's not what I expected. Like I I the only reason I, I had bought it back then because I heard that it was a snake in a mansion. Like I was like, who doesn't want like a people trapped in a mansion? But it really it's not in a mansion at all through like I would say ninety percent of the movie. Um it's it's a really weird one. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but yeah, I mean Oliver Reed hissing at people. What's what's not right. to love there? Where was it like a vinegar syndrome arrow situation? This was a, I believe this was a code red. I think okay. this one was from Code Red. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, beautiful uh uh redo like uh upgrade that you know all these places usually do. It looked cool. really good for the most part. There's a couple they had some areas where apparently the film was destroyed so they had to splice in like VHS parts to it, but oh, um, interesting. That's always so cool. I love like hearing about that though. Like about how like restoration works and all the different pieces yeah. put together to make that like to preserve film history. I just think it's so cool, but that's a whole other tangent. <laughs> No, I, I, I love when, when you hear about that kind of stuff. And, like, some of the stuff they had to cut from the movie sounded, like, really cool. I guess there's a, a scene where, like, it bites down on Oliver Reed's arm with the gun and he starts shooting. It from, like, there's stuff that they cut out that I'm like, man, this would have been fucking amazing to uh, to see. <laughs> but eh, as it is, it was um, it was a 90-minute uh, interesting, weird little movie. Speaking of an, another interesting little weird thing, I also because I was doing some writing about it, I rewatched um, the short "I am I was a teenage werebear." Yeah, where have you seen that? I love the name. The the segment from Chillerama. Yes. Yeah. So I know this very well. Yeah. Do you we like have, it? Um. So <laughs> I have a lot of mixed feelings about it because I yeah. don't, I'm not a particularly huge fan of the person who made that particular segment. Oh, um, okay. In concept, though, I think it's hysterical. Um, I love the idea that it's a beach musical because I love beach musicals. I love the fact that most of the people in it are porn stars. Um, Hell yes. I love that Lynn Shay is just being Lynn Shay and hamming it, yeah, hamming it up like crazy. I think that it's like a cheese mess and I have uh, an affinity for it in that regard. It came out, it was part of Chillerama. I had no idea at the time. Um, it came out in like 2011 and I think, I think in like September of that year. And I had no idea that there was um, this it nestled in between giant sperm that was attacking and like <laughs> zombie like montages. It yeah. has a name. Wadzilla! It does have a name. Wadzilla. <laughs> Yeah, that's a uh, that segment by Adam Rifkin, who made like Detroit Rock City, and it is yes. wild AF. I know, I I love it. I, I I love. I actually really enjoy this uh this anthology. I haven't watched the whole thing in like a very long time, but I did watch. Um, I was a teenage werebear because it came out at a time when I was coming out. Like it came out in 2011, and that is literally when this old bear <laughs> decided to finally come out of the closet and so it was um it, it always meant so much to me because it was the first time that like i really saw the horror using um a genre trope but like using it in a way that 
was unabashedly queer. It wasn't the subtext. It wasn't something like where the villain is coded as, as, as gay or something. It was, it was this little short that was about coming out at the same time as being a were a werewolf, like a deeply traditional werewolf story. Yeah. And I, I don't think that it is aged as, as well. <laughs> oh, no, no. As, um... it's, it, it is definitely a product of, like, the early, like, what is it? It's, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It falls, like, right in that, like, sweet spot where, like, Rock of Love existed. Where yeah. it's just, like, whoo, there's some rough language here. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean, there's, like, you know, there's, there's some sexual assault happening in this. And, like, Great. from the people that are, like... It's just there, there's stuff in here that just watching it uh, now I'm like oh god, but at the same time I I I have a soft spot for this problematic little short film because it really came at a time in my life that um, I really needed to see that that horror could be unabashedly queer, and the fact that it the star of it is Sean Paul Lockhart who. <laughs> that's his, his stage name um is a gay porn star and i was like oh i have seen your other work <laughs> oh i know it i know you and uh, adam robital is like one of the, like the lead bad guy like jocks oh my god in it. he's so hot in this I i've never know. actually watched any of chillerama before and now i'm curious but i'm not sure maybe i'll just i'll watch the, that one short for you terry i you know i don't go in expecting like brilliance, but um, yeah. I mean it's a '60s style musical about a, a, a man, a boy that turns into a, a bear, like a literal like gay bear when he gets aroused. Um, Hell yeah! Okay. <laughs> and I, I just yeah, it just it meant so much to me at the time. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's basically all I've been doing. Uh, what about you, Mary Beth? So I've been watching uh, a lot of fun footage. Surprise, surprise. I'm shocked. Um, but I actually just discovered this show called The River, which was on in 2012. Oh, yeah. AB- I did not know about this show. And it is a found footage horror television show from oh, ABC. Yeah. And I didn't know about it. So I've been watching that. And I've been eating it up. Because, well, okay. I watched the first episode, to be clear. But I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was fascinating. Um how they're using it for the television format, and I'm mad I didn't know about it earlier, but it's got, like, Joe Anderson in it, who is in um, Cross Universe, if anyone remembers that movie, and it's the, it's basically this, this guy is a, um, like, a nature, a nature television host, and he goes missing, and so his family goes to look for him, and in the Amazon, and it's all about, like, creepy things that happen there, which obviously can kind of venture into the exploitative, but we'll see how, how what it looks like in the next couple of episodes, but it's actually pretty interesting so far. So that's been cool to watch on Prime. Um, I just bought this season because I, I, who cares? My money is just on fire at this point anyway. So I watched, <laughs> I've been watching that, and then I watched this awesome film called um, The Lost Footage of Leah Sullivan, which is also on Prime. It is about a woman named Leah Sullivan, <laughs> who is making a project about <laughs> this massacre that took place in her hometown, and it is about her trying to do some digging and figuring out what happened, and obviously she finds out that something really awful happened in the house. So it is, I think it's really interesting. 
I don't think it's like groundbreaking, but I also think the acting is really good. And I think it does a lot of interesting things with like collecting found footage and collecting evidence. That's really cool. So yeah, those are the two things that I have been watching and really enjoying recently. BJ, what about you? What have you been watching or enjoying? It doesn't even have to be a movie. It could be a book. So I've actually been kind of overloading myself with content to deal with the everything. (laughs) The everything. Yes. (laughs) So the, the, Two things, or I guess three. Three things I'm going to bring to the table. One is I am watching all of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes, <laughs> yes. Have you watched it before? So here's the thing, um, is <laughs> I have watched all of it. I have okay. retained nothing. Okay. Like, absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm, I'm re-watching it, and it's weird, because, like, certain things I'll be watching, I'm like, oh, I do remember this. Okay. But when Avatar had first come out, like, I got made fun of for liking it, so then, like, I think my brain went into, like, protection mode, and it was like, we're not going to remember Avatar The Last Airbender, nor are we going to remember how badly you were teased for liking it. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna fight every single person who ever teased you for liking Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> It's Give so me a list good. of names. I'm gonna hunt them down. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So I've been. That's been like my my happy safe place. I've also been doing the same thing with regular show, but regular show I do remember watching. But just going <laughs> back and watching all of those and it like that that show is like pop culture, just like explosion, which it yes. sometimes is really nice. But I just finished a book called Dear White Women. It's not you. It's me. I'm breaking up with you. By <laughs> this like incredible black writer and poet from Louisville named Hannah Drake. Um, mm-hmm. You can buy her. I think she is selling that book on Amazon, but it's yep, a I'm looking book, at it right now. It's a book that is um, like personal essays, poems. Um, some of it is posts from her blog about like white fragility, allyship, the stages people go through to becoming anti-racist. But what I love is that. Um, like a couple of them, she t- she'll say something like the, you know, dear white women, you need to stop with this. I have receipts. And then like on page three, it'll be like a screenshot of a tweet from Alyssa Milano or oh, Rose shit. McGowan or so like she like she's using examples from people on Twitter and I mean she'll use her own tweets as well to be like, look, I've been talking the talk. I'm not doing this to make money off a book like. I've been educating and you have the people have not been listening to us. Here's the receipts. Um, It's a really, really amazing read. It's very in your face, which I think a lot of people need. Um, I read it all in one sitting. Like I just was, I couldn't stop reading it because it, it fucking rules. And uh, like, she's an amazing writer. Uh, She's also a queer writer, I believe, which is hell yeah. Like just, just like super bad bitch. Um, so yeah. I did that. And then as far as a movie, um, I'm in a, a movie night group, um, every Saturday with some, with some friends and we'll stream something together and like I'll chat about it. And we decided this week to watch Demon Night, like Tales from the Crypts. Oh, yeah. Demon Night. Oh, yes. I need to see that so bad. Um, so first off, it is still as fun as it was like, you know, years ago when I had seen it. And what's fascinating is that whenever people talk about 
demonite in terms of its queerness, they usually bring up Jada Pinkett's character, Gerilyn, because she's got, like, a shaved head, and she's wearing, like, cut-off denim, and she has a cat, and she's willing to, like, go to the end of the earth to save her cat, so everyone's, like, lesbian. And, like, don't get me wrong, (laughs) that character reads hard as a lesbian. But the other thing that we were all realizing when watching it is, like, Billy Zane's performance and character in that movie is basically drag. It's drag. Because, like, canonically speaking, like, he's a demon who's taking, like, different human forms to, like, get what he wants. And the form he's taking as Billy Zane is a fucking drag queen that happens to look like Billy Zane. Like, Hell it yeah. is so <laughs> campy and, like, sassy and performative and theatrical. And I was just like, oh my god, th- this is drag. This is 100% drag. Um, so that was a really cool thing to, like, watch this movie. I'd always been like, oh yeah, Demon Knight, like, coded lesbian movie. And then I watch it and I'm like... Okay, coded lesbian movie, overt gay man movie. This is great. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's been on my list for a long time, and now you've convinced me even more to watch it. So cool! It's, it's really fun, and the special effects really hold up. I was like kind of blown away. I expected them to look like shit, and I was like, oh no, these are great. Like the pra- like the digital stuff. Yeah, that looks like garbage, but the yeah. practical monsters look awesome. Cool. And um, also, just like a quick shout out, because BJ mentioned books. I, mean, I just got the book Searching for Sycorax, uh, Black Women's Hauntings of Contemporary Horror by Kenitra Brooks. I also recommend that. I've been doing, everyone's been doing a lot of reading, but I, I have also purchased a lot of Black women writers and horror, um, their books. So I would recommend that and Horror Noir, obviously. Oh, everyone yes. should read that. Well, now that we have talked about what we have been watching recently, BJ, what movie have you brought with so you excited. today? Okay, so I brought with me today the scariest movie of all time, House on Haunted Hill 1999. <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> Where's the party? Looks like we're at. This Halloween, six strangers have been invited to a party. If they can stay up till dawn, they'll win one million dollars each. I think I got something. The only catch is that they'll have to live through the night. House on Haunted Hill, rated R. Starts Friday, October 29th at a theater near you. So, for those of you unfamiliar with the film or need a little refresher, um... A millionaire with theatrical theatrical tendencies, Stephen Price, played by Jeffrey Rush with a horrendous mustache, invites a number of people to stay in a vast, creepy building that used to be an insane asylum. Stephen, accompanied by his bitter wife, Evelyn, offers a million dollars to anyone who can stay the whole night without leaving out of fear. When Stephen and Evelyn become trapped with their guests, they quickly realize that the house is haunted and the spirits dwelling within are very angry. So angry. Okay, BJ, why did you pick this movie? I'm this movie. You just made it sound way scarier than it actually is. I know. I was reading it and I was like, "Oh, it sounds real creepy." Yeah. Okay. So for those who haven't seen it, House on Haunted Hill is not scary. It's what? Um, it is a 1990s mess in all of the best ways possible. Okay. So the reason that I brought this is I have I have plenty of stories about movies that scared me as a kid. Most of which I've I've written about already. Or there are movies that, like, oh, The Exorcist. Like, of course, everyone's fucking scared of The Exorcist. Like, that's not new. <laughs> um, but the reason that House on a Haunted Hill is the one that I brought is because, like I said, I got to watch pretty much anything that I wanted as a kid. 
And my family growing up, we also, we live really, really close to um, the Illinois State Beach Resort or Illinois Beach State Resort. Um, so we used to go camping all the time growing up and we would have like our little camper and then we'd have one of those like portable TVs that had the the VCR built into it. And that would be like the ah, yes. only form of like seeing the world um, outside of nature. <laughs> so we used to always go camping with another family that lived like they were like our neighbors and uh, the dads, like my dad and this family's dad, they've been friends since high school. So it's, you know, basically family. And they had a daughter who was two years older than me who also really liked like creepy movies. So Sweet. when we would go camping, it would always be like, well, it's your turn to bring the movie. It's your turn to bring the movie. And we were at Kmart, like stocking up on like bug spray and stuff before going camping. The VHS tape of House on Haunted Hill was like new release or whatever. And the cover art was just like the bloody handprint with all the faces in it and like some spooky font. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, that's kind of cool. But the big seller in it was that Chris Kattan is in that movie. Oh my God. (laughs) And we were both like, what? Like the Night the Roxbury guy? We're we're getting this. Like this is the movie that we're going to take. And, like, so mind you, at this point, I'm, like, nine. Like, so I'm a kid. And she would have, so that would have made her, like, 11. So we get this tape. And we decide that we are going to watch it uh, on one of the days that it rained while we're camping. So it's nighttime. We're in, like, a camper, which is basically, like, a sheet that, like, like, there's no, like, real structure, so, like, the camper's shaking with the wind, there's lightning and thunder, like, it's kind of a scary situation already, and then we Raindrops hounding it. Oh my gosh, yeah, and it always, for whatever reason, sounds like you're dropping a box of chalk on the pavement, yes. like, I don't, why do campers sound like that? I'll never know. I know. But, but, like, so that's happening, and we decide that we're gonna watch this, and we're watching this movie, and there were two things that distinctly, like, really, really, like, fucked with me. Uh, The first one is the editing style. House on Haunted Hill is, like, the best example of that late 90s, early 2000s, like, jumpy Marilyn Manson music video style of editing. Where it's a lot of stuff, like, edited in rapid succession, or um, they edit, like, individual frames to make it look like movement. And at that point, I had never seen anything like that because, again, I'm nine, so it's not like I'm checking into, like, the newest Nine Inch Nails video. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> um, so this was the first time I'd ever seen that. And, like, that visual, like, assault uh, really upset me and, like, put me very on edge immediately. I was like, I don't like this. It feels really frenetic, and I'm very upset by it. Um, <laughs> but the second one is there's a there's a point where... They're they're like underwater and there's like a body in there and they do this like jump cut thing where like she's slowly like bleeding from her mouth and then it like snap cuts and she has this like terrifying face. And when that scene happened, because my parents know that I like horror and my dad is a huge prankster and I don't know how he timed this. Like, I genuinely don't know. It was like the universe was conspiring against me. But at that moment, 
my dad slammed his whole body into the camper, knowing my friend and I were watching no. this horror movie, and like scream, like made some like ah, like sound or whatever, and I freaked the fuck out. Like it was can- like <laughs> there was no coming back. I was done, and I like I had the blanket over my face. Like I didn't even oh, no. like waste my time to see the stupid CGI like fog monster that happens towards the. I was done because it was just it was overloaded and this is the one of the only times that i've ever not finished a movie because my parents weren't there to make me so i didn't and of course (laughs) my imagination got the best of me i pictured things being way fucking worse than they actually were it was so upsetting to me that I then could not watch music videos that are edited in that same style <laughs> for years. Like the second one of those like Marilyn Manson videos would come up or like him yep. or whatever, I was like, nope, nope, out. I'm out of here because I immediately would feel that fear again. Yeah. And uh, wow. so that that is the story behind why wow. I brought that movie. That sounds like the, that sounds like the beginning. Um, of like a horror movie like you're sitting in the camper and the pouring down rain watching a scary movie and then something yeah. terrible happens that's amazing yeah it was like and i've told <laughs> numerous stories of like on like different podcasts or in my own writing about my dad's history of pranking so like this isn't like this wasn't a new thing this wasn't like some random day my dad decided to like be an asshole like <laughs> and my dad's not an asshole he's a wonderful human being but like his right. pranks are some bullshit <laughs> But, like, it was the most perfectly timed scare. Like, he had... There was no way for him to know. He didn't see this movie. He didn't know. It just... Everything lined up. Like, the planets aligned. And they're like, we are going to scar this child for life. Boom. Um, <laughs> so so that's where, where that came from. Of just... Like, I, I've obviously seen the movie now. And I can, like, go back and laugh at it. But I, like, to this day, I still, like, really don't like that editing style. It gives me the creeps. Um, I can watch it, but I, like, I can feel it inside. My body's like, "Mm mm-mm, we don't like this. This is not a thing we are a fan of. And I'm like, I I know, body, I feel it. Um, (laughs) I just love that this all started because of Chris Kattan, though. I mean, I'm still stuck on that point. That's hysterical. (laughs) I love that. But I also got excited when I saw he was in this movie, too. So, like, I can't, I can't blame you. I mean, this cast is stacked. It really is. Like, the the cast is ridiculous. And, like, I – now looking back at it, I can see, like, how how great the cast was and how this movie had everything going for it, right? It did, though. Mm-hmm. Like, Allie Larder. <sighs> she yes. was having a moment like, at that time. I lo- so, and I, I've been rewatching the Resident Evil movies, so I've been having, like, a crush on Allie Larder. And then she was in this. I'm like, god damn, I love her. Where did she go? <laughs> I mean, like, we get Jeffrey Rush essentially playing Vincent Price. Let the games begin. (laughs) Yeah, well, call me clairvoyant. But haven't they already? Finding that out is just one of tonight's many amusements. Sure is a funky old house. Ain't it? Um, And, like, Jeffrey Combs is, like, the scary doctor. Like, there's so much good. (laughs) Tay Diggs just being Tay Diggs. Like... Mm. Famke mm. Jensen, who, like, Jensen, I, who, again, like, a very, like, specific product of that time, who I have not seen in a long time. I was like, oh, my God, you're in this? And you, like, are so, like, devious, and I'm obsessed with you. Okay, I want to talk about Evelyn, because <laughs> this is a woman who stages her death, tries to convince people to murder her husband, kills her lover. 
What we need is another body. And Stephen's bloody hands right next to it. Well, how the hell are we going to do that? sound a little crazy, but hear me out. Then saws his head off, props it up in the saturation chamber, decides to randomly don a gothic dress. Like, she is that bitch, and I am so here for it. I love her so yeah, much. Yeah, she's living movie. her best life. She is. She's so good. She should have gotten away with it. Ugh. I, I mean, that would have been wish. amazing if she'd gotten away with it. Um, and so this movie, I thought I had seen this before. I had seen The Haunting, not The House on Haunted Hill, but The Haunting came out around the same time, I think. Yes, it did. And had yes. like a similarly stacked cast. And I think I have just thought these were the same movie for most of my life until like today. So, <laughs> so that's exciting. But um, I get those two confused. But Wow. Yeah, these this all came so out around around the same, like, because you had, like, the Dark Castle stuff, so there was, like, this, there was 13 Ghosts, that's yes. the other big Ghost one, ship. which I am, I stand for 13 Ghosts. I love 13 Ghosts. <laughs> but another, like, really cool thing that the House on Haunted Hill did was, I mean, because Chris Kadan was in this movie, <laughs> um, and because I didn't allow myself to watch it, um, I went home, like, you know, after camping and whatnot, and I went on Ask Jeeves. Introducing Jeeves, the world's first internet butler. Just type in your question, and he promptly finds the answer. Hey, Jeeves, what are the symptoms of hypothermia? Mental confusion, shivering, and a total loss of feeling in the legs, sir. Got a question? Ask Jeeves at ask.com. Because Google... Oh, my God. Hell oh, yeah. Yes. Ask Jeeves. So I had that Ask Jeeves, and I looked up the house on Haunted Hill. I wanted to know, like, everything about it. Like, what did I miss so that I could go back and rewatch? Because I bought that tape from Kmart. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to watch it at some point, but maybe it won't be, like, as terrifying if I know what happens. Mm-hmm. So I went looking for spoilers, and what I found was the original house on Haunted Hill. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. So I was like, oh... This was a remake. Well, that's cool. Um, And then in looking at the remake and then kind of falling down the rabbit hole of, like, that whole world of, like, the original House on Haunted Hill, um, also going with uh, just sort of Vincent Price films in general, Mm -hmm. um, I printed out a picture of Vincent Price because I also obviously made the connection of, like, oh, that actor looked like this guy. (laughs) Um, And I brought a picture of Vincent Price to the mom-and-pop video store down the street from where I lived, and I was like, I want anything you have with this man in it. And the, I love that. The guy behind the counter was like, I mean, okay. And he stacked me with, like, I think, like, five or six movies including edward scissorhands um <laughs> and i like bungee corded them to my little huffy bike and i rode home no. and oh then God. i had like a weekend just watching like these old black and white horror movies and i was just like entranced by them because at this point i had seen i think dracula and frankenstein but i had mostly seen slashers and modern horror mm-hmm. so because of this movie it is what brought me to learn about, you know, the movies that came before. And I could see like, oh, this is like, you know, this is what inspired other movies that I love. So as much as that movie scared the shit out of me, like it also, I'm like forever indebted to House on Haunted Hill 99 because without it, I don't know, like I maybe would have like gotten into old school horror, maybe in college when I started taking like film theory classes. But 
this is when I sort of started my, I don't know, I guess my, my research into all horror and the history of horror. That's so I, cool. I love that. And it, it, I, I was thinking as you were talking about this, that like a lot of people, you know, look down on, on remakes, either like remakes of, of old American films or also like American remakes of, of foreign films. But I, I mean, it's it's kind of how I discovered Japanese horror was because of the American remake of The Ring, mm. and so I love hearing that that it was this remake of of a Vincent Price movie that sent you down like this rabbit hole and and really introduced you to a whole wealth of amazing amazing content. I, I think that's awesome. And that's I'm I'm right there with you as far as like I I try really hard not to shit on remakes when they happen because yeah. I, I know mean yeah, there's terrible ones. But. Like, yeah, of course there are ones that are terrible that don't need to be made, Nightmare on Elm Street, but oh, God. <laughs> it's so rough, so, Ugh. so rough. But Ugh. I I know for sure that as much as that movie is, like, dog shit, there are people who probably watched it and were like, I should probably see the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's, in a weird way, like, whenever people are like, oh, it's destroying my childhood. No, it's not destroying your childhood, but it is allowing new people to understand what having that childhood was like because now they can go back and look at it and they can they can learn more about it and can operate like a gateway like to, yeah. to more to more different found more different movies and more different types of movies oh absolutely and i think that there's a lot of power in that and i mean you can you can argue the ethics of remakes until you're blue in the face yeah. but ultimately like there is a good thing that comes out of it because it does kind of offer this resurgence to the original material. And if I was doing that before we had things like Twitter, where a hundred people are screaming at any given moment, like, (laughs) how could they remake this? Um, Then there's no way that people haven't had these films as gateways, whether or not they're willing to admit that is an entirely other thing. Cause you know, we also are a culture where we all have to be like the coolest, toughest, edgiest person at any given moment. But like, I have no qualms admitting that this movie scared the shit out of me when I was nine. Cause I was a child. Cause you were a child. Um, But also because it, it has such a huge impact and importance in my life. And I, I watched it for the first time today and I really enjoyed it. I it's don't give a fun. shit. It's fucking fun. And yes, it the, is fun. The, the ghost at the end is pretty terrible, but it's still I a fucking... I love the ghost at the end. Oh, well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah, a lot of people aren't. Um, I, you know, I really wish that I had the, uh, the Scream Factory Blu-ray that, that they put out with this because there was an interview with William Lam- uh, Malone, the director, about mm. that special effect because mm. apparently it's not computer generated. It's It's some kind of film thing that the people came up with yeah. and then inserted it into it. Interesting. So like it and I really wish that I could listen to that interview be, um before we could record because like I'm I I'm always curious about it because I I mean it it does. It doesn't look that great. It didn't look that great at the time either, but there's something about the kind of like otherworldly Rorschach test mm-hmm. like writhing female bodies slash almost like love crafty and tentacle like it it was yeah. it was such a weird thing that like i still as as bad as i think it probably has has still continued to age i still think that it's a kind of a cool image yeah um, i would agree with that i and like i also think there's a lot of really awesome practical effects like greg nicotero was one of the people on the team for this yeah, film right. and there's a lot of really cool practical effects in this film a lot of really 
I wouldn't say scary, but there's some creepy imagery. And I think there's the, a lot of creepy imagery. Right? And like, <laughs> I really love the opening sequence, like the stop motion, kind of weird, creepy, like, I know it's like kind of edgelordy maybe with like hearts and bones and scary things, but I thought it was kind of cool because I, I mean like that, again, like that kind of like stop motion creepy thing was something I was really into as a kid. So like it watching it, I was like, oh, I used to love like this kind of, like they don't really have that close kinds of title sequences anymore. So Mm -hmm. I was immediately hooked with that. So I think what's also interesting too is that like, so William Malone who made this also made um, another like, I call them the music video jump cut horror movies. Uh, he made Fear.com. <laughs> Fear.com. Which wow, Fear.com. also has like the same sort of, I guess, flavor of House on Haunted Hill, where like if you isolate the imagery in these movies, they are terrifying. Yes! Like the yes. imagery and like the pictures that are painted and how they're presented are so scary in these movies when you pull them out of context. Like putting them through the context, yes, they do feel a little like campy and cheesy and whatever, as you know, I can say that as somebody looking back. But like if you look at those images like individually or like in mm-hmm. small segments, they're very upsetting and they're extremely effective. They are. Yeah. And the, I think that was something I wasn't expecting when I watched it. I I knew that it was like a, a late 90s horror movie, but I didn't think I expected it to be like ha- have such creepy kind of disturbing imagery. And I was really impressed and like scared's the wrong word. And it is kind of cheesy in context, but it's still really impressive. Like just how much gore and creepy shit they're able to pack into it. Like especially there's that part where um, Jeffrey Rush's character turns the chair around for like the controller yes. and his face is completely missing. I was like... Oh hell yeah! Okay, this is what I we're had to doing. Like, keep rewinding that uh, when I was watching it last night because I was like, "It's such a cool effect." <laughs> so I just found myself like constantly hitting rewind, which I think says a lot about me. But like, <laughs> I was like, "I got, I got to see this. It was so cool." And I'm a shell, obviously a shell for found footage. But the part where I think her name is Melissa or Mark Melissa Melissa, yeah, Melissa she's filming in yeah. the basement, and they do that thing where like she can only see the ghost through the camera, and then they all look at her. I just love that. It's always so it. creepy and I will always like think it's cool. I know that it's been used <laughs> a lot, but I am upset. I like think it's so cool and funny and creepy. And I was like, yes, taking all the boxes of like the haunted house movie tropes that I want. And I was very into it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, um, cause I'm, I'm a little bit older. I saw this in the movie theater when I was 18. Um, and I, man, I loved it. I loved it as 18 year old me. It was, it was, Ticking off, ticking off all of my boxes as, at that age. I, I love it's it's how I discovered Marilyn Manson's music might actually be for me because his oh, cover of Sweet Dreams yeah. in there is oh yeah because like you know you're like in 1999 and it's like everyone's like talking about that weird man that's dressing up like a naked alien and all this kind of stuff and I was like I don't know if this music's for me and then I hear his song on there and that sent me down like this musical highway of discovering how much I I loved his his music but like I mean and that cover is is fantastic i think i know um, i love that cover but i just i remember sitting in the theater and just and just admiring how expensive it looked i mean they spent it's an expensive movie they it was i think it was like 40 million dollars they spent wow. on it well that opening scene alone at a theme park yes like oh God, yes, that is God. money that money. is money <clears throat> my dad was he loves like I've, I've said this before that he likes he likes uh the universal monster movies but he mm-hmm loved loved vincent price oh. and so i saw a bunch i grew up watching a bunch of his movies and cool. so like 
I really loved how watching this movie, seeing that they they took the basic structure of of House on Haunted Hill and they kind of remaked it to a T almost, but then they added the because I as a kid I always wanted it to be like more pronounced that the house might be haunted, and so of course mm. in this movie you know it it becomes that it really is. So as a kid, I, I loved seeing that, and I loved the design of the of the asylum. It just felt so so big in in a way that a lot of horror movies weren't at that time. And I wanted to bring that up because the like the actual asylum, like in the hill, that's mm-hmm. nuts. So cool. Yeah. I thought that was because when I when I was like when I first saw it, I was like, that's not the house on haunted hill. Yes, it is in fact the house on haunted hill, which I love. I like. I was all about this like crazy weird like tower looking thing on the side of a cliff and the the decor interior decoration is so cool and i really love the design just of the house in general and making it seem so strange and foreign and creepy um super effective too it doesn't make it like because i think so many haunted house movies just try to like chase that very classic haunted house Mm -hmm. aesthetic where they all sort of look like the same house and this one was like nope (laughs) opposite (laughs) direction i think that's why it was so weird to me because to some extent like when you've seen that many haunted house movies they all sort of blur and become the same story in the same movie and this just felt so not like that that i think it it like caught me off guard. And I think that's why I was so affected by it because it really, from that opening sequence, like you're immediately like given the, the messaging that like, you can't trust anything that you see and you can't trust right. any of these characters, like right off. Yeah. The bat. Well, and I think that's what, that's what surprised me rewatching it last night was really for the most of the movie, the ghosts are pretty much backstage. Like, you know, you get like the um, poor Melissa getting killed, when she's holding up the camera and like the <laughs> security guard losing his face. But like a lot of it is really just who are these people? Why are they there? And what is really going on here? I, I completely forgot about all of the double crossing and, and just the, <laughs> the kind of fucked up characters that were, you know, the center stage of this rather than the actual ghost story. I agree. But it also was like very, I was like, all right, well, now I have to know why the hell they're here and who all these people are. And I was actually really compelled. I thought the story was actually pretty compelling. Again, I feel like I should not have had such low expectations. That was unfair of me. But um, wow, it really was so fun to watch. Um, Going back to, uh, did did any of you really want to go on that ride? Because <laughs> I did as a kid. The oh, yeah. 100% I wanted to go on that <laughs> wild ass roller coaster regardless of how impossible it would be like i can you imagine the, the expense of having to like launch a car off every single time someone went on it could you imagine the insurance policy you'd have to I take know. out to like run that place oh my god <laughs> it's insane I just, uh, but I, I love that right i love and i love i just really just briefly jeffrey rush's character he's so good you must be kidding i'm steep Goddamn price! I don't even. I know he's a scumbag, but I just love Jeffrey Rush, and so I loved his character as much of a scum, gross, scummy man he was. I just think he had like a really interesting, like not charisma, but like air about him, and like you said, like the Vincent Price mustache, and it was just. I was. He's so campy. He is, and it was just. I think that really made the like the film even more fun because I think he really ate up the scenery and just like really like hammed it up and I think his performance is just like so funny and so slimy and I think it just was a lot 
more fun than I was expecting. And I think that's what this movie, I, I've been also realizing I've been saying, I think that like a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I think that this movie is fun. And I, I think that people were expecting it to be something else. And I think that's why there's so much aversion to this film. Yeah. Because they're like, it's not even scary. Yeah, but it's a whole lot of fucking fun. So maybe if you... St- Stopped worrying about it being this like terrifying ghost movie and let yourself have fun with it, you would have fun with it. Because I think if this was pitched to be what it is, which is very campy and like a wild ride, people would have been on board. But it wasn't. It was pitched as like this return to horror and like this terrifying mm-hmm. story. And I think that it just didn't meet the expectations people had for it in their mind. And a lot of people can't allow themselves to go on a different journey where the film is taking mm-hmm. them there because they just very strongly want to be on the journey they thought they were going to get. 100% yeah. agree. I think this is also like a perfect movie to like, like a, like a movie night movie to watch with your friends. And like, I know it's gory, but I feel like this is a good movie to watch with your friends who aren't as into horror, but like can tolerate gore. Cause I feel like it's not, it's funny. You guys can laugh about it and it's just like enjoyable for everyone. I don't think you have to be like a big horror person to see the fun that is, I that agree. can be had with this film. And I think it should be talked about more as a really good movie to show people who are maybe on the fence about horror and just like want to have a good time and watch something silly and gory and effective, I think. So yeah, this is this is definitely like the everyone's over hanging out, like eating junk food and watching mm-hmm. a movie together in the living oh, room hell yeah. where like you're not gonna get yelled at if you talk. Like you can you can have fun with the movie and the movie's going to give you that fun right back. Exactly. You know, one one of the special effects is Jeffrey Combs's uh performance and when he's walking and he has that kind of herky jerky like puppetry. Yes. Like, oh, yes. It's and it's so not so much upsetting. where he like freaks out. Yes. And it's not so much the moment because there's like a couple moments where like they like speed up movements and it looks like people are just like having some kind of I don't know crazy panic attack like super fast but it's his movements where he's like just it, he looks like it looks like stop motion but it's yes. a human being that's doing it and it's it's i think that is still so effective and creepy <laughs> to this day I, agree. Like, I still was like oh because it's not natural it, it's sort of like that uncanny valley where it's yes, like you're seeing something totally. that should be human but it's not acting in a way that a human should i 100 percent agree with that i and like that i will that effect will 100 percent like make me scared until the end of time no matter how many times i see it it still makes me like ooh, like that is not correct or real someone shouldn't be moving like that but it's happening in front of me i definitely feel that it's like when you watch videos of like somebody crashing and then they get like a compound fracture or they like break their arm and it moves the way that it shouldn't oh, it's like that yes. It's that feeling, but like constantly because that's yes. how it moves. Where oh. it's like, no, this is wrong. I hate this. It's like that. It's like a weird visceral reaction, which goes back to like horror movies are manipulative. And yes. like this movie, I don't know what it was, but just like at the time, it hit everything that made like all of my sensors go off of like, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like this at all. Thank you, Chris Catan. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Chris Kattan. <laughs> thank you, Chris Kattan. So, Terry, how many Jeffrey Rush's mustaches out of five do we give this film? <laughs> or do you give this film? I mean, you know, it's... I, I find myself giving a lot of, like, 
uh, fours out. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard talking about it because, like, obviously, you know, if you're comparing this to some, you know, great piece of art, it's not that great. But for what it is, I think it is a four. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Rush's mustache is out of five for me because it's it's so much fun. It still lives up to up to how much fun I had in the movie theater with a bunch of friends. I completely agree with how we were talking about it being a great like party movie. Um, also one thing that I noticed this time, and it was because um, I was jamming out to Marilyn Manson's music over the, the credits. There's an end scene. Have you, did you guys notice that there's an end yes, credit? There scene is an end credit. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We're like, uh, it's black and white footage again. And it's like the, the, the asylum people, um, torturing the prices for eternity and it's actually kind of upsetting um more so than the rest of the movie like it 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 focuses a lot on jeffrey rush's face and his eyes as he's like being basically uh torn open alive like it's it's very like an upsetting end of to what has been like a campy movie but i guess that my final thing is that The fact that these two rich white people are so bored with their lives that they stage this massive thing to kill each other. I I mean, if that ain't some rich nonsense, I don't know what is. (laughs) But four out of five. Cool. Four out of five. What about you, Mary Beth? So initially I was thinking a three, Jeffrey Jeffrey Rush mustaches out of five. But the more we've talked about it on the podcast, the more I want to give it a four because it really is so much fun. And I think it receives... Just from what I've seen online, like unnecessary amount of hate. I think it exactly like BJ, you said it, like it is, needs to be seen as something fun and just like campy and enjoyable and not like some serious horror film because it's not trying to be that. And so I cannot wait to make my friends watch this um, the next time I have a movie night because they don't like watching horror movies, but maybe I can convince them on this one. So definitely for Jeffrey Rush mustaches out of five. BJ, you have the final word on the house on Haunted Hill. How many mustaches out of five do you give this film? <laughs> I'm also giving it four out of five. We have fours. Fours across the board. Fours across, fours the, across board. the board. Yes, I'm giving it a four because while obviously this movie has plenty of room to grow, but huh. it is just so wonderful and so much fun and... I I hate when people are like, that movie is so dated. Like, if it's dated in, like, an offensive way, then okay, maybe make that complaint. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if it's just dated in the sense that, like, this movie reeks of 1999, that's fine. Let this be a time capsule of 1999, (laughs) which is exactly what it is. And I love that about it. I love, exactly. And I I love when movies are time capsules of, like, when they were made. I think that's so fucking cool. And you're like, oh, my God, yes, 1999. And it's... So I don't think it's a bad thing uh, until, of course, it is like, like you said, offensively dated. But again, it's great. So yay, House on Haunted Hill. Yay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, BJ, for joining us to talk about House on Haunted Hill. Um, I had such a great time revisiting this one. So where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you'd like to share? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter. It's my name at BJ Colangelo. Um, I'm also on Instagram, but I really don't let a lot of people add me there. I tend to, like, vet people a little bit more strictly there. So, I mean, you can try, but no guarantees. <laughs> um, yeah, Twitter is Twitter's the easiest. Um, and then as far as things that are new, um, I mean, Labyrinth is finishing up a festival run. So, I mean, <laughs> when festivals happen again. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. if, if you have the chance, like, I guess check that out if it 
if it exists again. Um, but something that you can check out that's new that's kind of cool is I wrote an episode for the audio drama It uh, It Comes from the Radio um, through oh, yeah. Lonely Spectre Productions. And it's a 1950s camp horror radio show where each episode deals with a different um, type of monster. And this kind of goes full circle with what you watched earlier this week, Terry, because my episode is the teenage werewolf versus mm. the kingpin. And it is a campy horror story uh, about a werewolf in a 1950s bowling alley. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. And I have that can... episode downloaded, but um I haven't had a chance to listen to cuz like I don't commute right now. So like my listening has been reduced, but I can't wait to listen to it's that. It's a one. lot of fun. I also do a voice in it as does um my wife does a voice in it too. Hell yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot of ridiculousness. Um but it's very fun. I suggest using headphones because that's the way that the good lord intended it to be listened to. Um, but you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much we'll anywhere where you it. get your podcast. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a blast and a half. And, um, I'm very proud of it because it's also, it is the official, like, first thing that I've done, like, as a completely solo creative without That's anyone awesome. from my, um, my past life. So, Hell yeah. Um, oh, congratulations. Very, That's so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, and I hope people like it. There's a lot of shit going on in the world and all the episodes are very fun and kind of Scooby-Doo-ish. So it should hopefully bring a little bit of uh, levity to your day. Sweet. That's what we need. That's what awesome. Need. And like, like Terry said, we'll make sure to link it both in the show notes and we'll make sure to post about it on Twitter so everyone can follow and give it a listen. Um, so listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with the house on Haunted Hill? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Please take care of each other and stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.